As storytellers and dreamers, there is always magic to discover. Once, Once upon, upon a time, time, a Las Vegas showgirl and a comedian magician figured out that even with different perspectives, our adventures and experiences together are really just one, one big caper. One Big Caper Podcast. I'm Athena and this is Felix. And we are in episode 12 here. Yeah. Dozen episodes. Yeah, we uh, we really appreciate you tuning in whichever way you do it. We are available both by video on YouTube and audio anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So back last end of last summer, we kind of made a little teaser announcement. We were going to start a podcast, and we put it out to the Facebook. If a showgirl and a magician started a podcast, what would you want us to talk about? And we got a number of topics. <laughs> we do, and we're cranking through that list. We still, though, mm -hmm. encourage you to interact with us, put questions uh, to us at hello at onebigcaper.com. Yep. Or uh, under, if you're watching the video, we certainly read every everything um, yeah. That is typed under there. I assume that uh, there are some things going to happen as some eventuality where someone doesn't agree with us or someone uh, doesn't particularly like us. We don't care. Uh, we will leave those up. I'm not going to turn those off unless it gets out of hand, but I've seen that happen on other YouTube casts. I just think those people need a hug. I think there's a weird sensation of anonymity when people are using the internet. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yes, but they just need a hug. Okay, so anyway, this question came from Jen. Oh, yes. Hi, Jen. Hi. We, we might uh, bleep your last okay. name, Jen. <laughs> I didn't know that was her last name or their last name. Uh, no, I, I don't think it's uh, her last name, but um, I haven't seen her in okay. a decade probably, so uh, thanks for that. Yes, so this topic is how we each got started on our paths. And I thought I'd go first because, well... I think I can be quicker about it than you can. I can do Cliff's Notes today. Oh, really? Sure. Okay. Are you sure? I'm sure. Because I know you like to talk. I can do it. We can time it. I'm, on, I'm hopped up on coffee. Oh, God. <laughs> I have my, like, chamomile tea. <laughs> okay. So I thought I would start this time. Okay, good. Okay, so I got started off in dance. My parents owned a dance studio. My mom was a dance teacher. She started off in dance because her mom, my grandmother, worked at a dance studio. And the man who opened the studio, uh, it was Don Crosby's dance studio or something like that, here in Denver, Colorado, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, probably to the 70s, um, he was a vaudeville performer. So there was a, a bit of that in my mom's training. So that's that's kind of cool. But uh, she's, you know, she just kept being a dance teacher and then decided, hey, she, she wants to be an entrepreneur. So my parents opened their dance studio when I was, I want to say I was six or seven years old. And... And we were the once-a-week kids. We would go to class Saturday morning <laughs> and and uh, live at the studio. We literally lived at the studio. It was so crazy. Like, 
if it was now time we like it'd be cool to have like the loft above the studio maybe <laughs> back in the 80s that was not cool uh the studio was in the suburbs long story short i got into competition dancing so i trained in jazz tap ballet at the time it was called lyrical and now it's now called modern contemporary dance and then at one point in my life, I chose ballet. I had this, you know, 13-year-old fell in love with ballet. <laughs> Watching dancers, uh, Bershnikov, uh movie, if you've ever, if you've ever seen it, uh, it has a very romantic idea of what ballet is like and being a ballerina and The Turning Point, which Anne Bancroft and Shirley MacLaine. I remember uh, I was introduced to Barishnikov with the Gregory Hines film. White Knights. White Knights. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, that one too. Yeah, so I actually met Barishnikov too um, when I was... I had no idea. When I was 14. Yep. That's really cool. Yep. Okay, I yep. didn't know. Yeah. So uh, he was doing the White Oak Dance Project, which uh, was, I believe, with Twyla Tharp choreography. So he really, like, when he defected, he went and, you know, sought out freedom to creatively self-express, which is really cool, which I love. So I went through this whole thing of training, Russian training, and I got a scholarship to study in Russia at, at the Bolshoi Ballet Academy. And that was when I was 16. I was in the 18-year-old's class. That's apparently how good I was. <laughs> um, but uh, I came back, and it was kind of a rough time coming back. There was a lot of culture shock this culture shock going there and then culture shock coming back because I'd lived there for about three months. And at that point, it was time. I was um, a junior going into my junior year. It was kind of time to start figuring out what I was going to do with my life, <laughs> which I think is so ridiculous. I, I just, my oldest is in at that stage right now. I can't even imagine I'm sitting there at dinner like she's 16. She's the exact same age I was when I went to Russia. I just can't even imagine, but I mean, she's got a good head on her shoulders, but that experience is just incredibly trying. So anyway, I, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to be a professional ballerina. And I had the kind of like green light from my teacher, like she's going to make it. And so I pursued it. And that involved sending VHS tapes and resumes and eight by tens to ballet companies all over the country. I didn't even think internationally. But my mom was there with the big envelope sending out the videos. And that, that was my college career prep. It, back in the day, the late 90s, that wasn't, it wasn't a thing to uh, get into a company that, was also, that also had the um, university. That, that's what the bigger companies are doing now. So that you dance full time, but that you're also going to school full time. And it's like this curriculum they have for dancers. So that when they're done dancing, then they have something else to do. They're not just in the streets, <laughs> some of them, or, uh, you know, having to marry a sugar daddy or whatever. Like that was kind of the option as a ballerina. Like you marry the director or the director's son. <laughs> um, but so I did that. I actually got into a ballet company. Uh, I didn't get into the ones I wanted because I was too tall. Uh, I was about five, eight and three quarters. So I was almost five, nine. And I got into Nevada Ballet Theater 
uh, new artistic director, and they had a couple of 5'8 girls. So I was the tallest, of course, in the company in the corps de ballet. So like, I, yeah, <laughs> I was a little taller than everybody, especially with my big feet on point. But three years of that, and I was miserable. Like, ballet was not this beautiful romance that I thought it was going to be. It really was awful. It was like, uh, I do not recommend it for anybody. Um, there's a number of reasons, and maybe someday I'll fully, I'll write a book about it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I learned a lot about perseverance, for sure, and pushing through. Um, but uh, how I became a showgirl, I just transitioned from the ballet company to being a showgirl. Was let out of my contract. Whew. Thank God. I can't remember what the out clause was. The logical transition, or logical, like, foundation of that transition was Athena's height. Yeah, yeah. So one of the old males had left the show. He was the principal, and he got tired of working his butt off. He was an older Russian guy. He left, and we went to Jubilee. And he was happy to be a chorus boy because he was making double <laughs> what he was, almost double what he was making as a principal dancer. You know, I think they were making four fifty a week in the uh, late nineties, and he went to the show to make seven fifteen a week. There's a reason that uh, <laughs> most ballerinas are smaller in statue, or stature rather, uh, because there are a lot of lifts involved. Uh, dominantly, of course, male dancers are doing the lifts, and it's difficult to find male dancers who are taller than Athena and can yeah. throw her in the air. Yeah, no, or hold her there. No throwing. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was one of the complaints of uh, my partner in Russia was that I was too heavy. <laughs> hey, Athena here. I'm a former Las Vegas showgirl who teaches women to feel more comfortable in their bodies so they can get their sexy back. Over at Showgirls Life, I've launched an exclusive offering for the new year. Sexy Self Care is a four-week group coaching intensive designed to support women in developing a sensual self-care ritual that turns them on and lights them up in 2022. Featuring four live coaching calls, plus 20 exercises to nourish body, heart, mind, and spirit, participants will create a personalized self-care ritual that honors their individuality, time, and cycle. Don't let 2022 be another year where you keep yourself on the back burner and keep adding to your someday aisle list. With my support and intuitive guidance, you will be prioritizing you, your worth, and ultimately your impact in this world. Learn more and reserve your spot today at www.showgirls.life. <laughs> yeah, even at 16, I was getting weight notices that I was too fat. So anyway, um, he came to class one day and he said, they're, they're having auditions in the show. They will love you. And he counted off how many of the ballerinas that had left and gone to become showgirls. And I was like, why would I want to be a showgirl? <laughs> Which I still remember that like, that judgment in my voice that I had when I said that. And uh, I went, I did it because I was just like, you know what, let's just try something new. Let's just do this. So I was, um, I was uh, 20, 20 years old at the time and just went in there and I, hadn't done a real dance audition ever. I'd only ever done um, conventions and workshops. 
So it was like a whole new experience. Like a ballet audition, you do a full class. But this was like you do a ballet combination, a jazz combination, and then I think we might have done tap, and then you walk across the floor, and then you stand up in a line. So it was it was a really hard audition because I had no idea what to expect. I hadn't even seen the show yet. So bottom line is I got the job on the spot. Uh, I happened to be exactly what they were looking for, <laughs> or they made space for me. Who knows? Um, I still have to talk to Diane about that, but one day I will. Um, but that's how I became a showgirl. And I did that for five years. And um, then I had started making babies and made my family. And and then about 10 years later, I was missing the stage. It was time to go back. So over the last 20 years, I've just been creating my stage wherever I went. And that came from Ilana, who I interviewed and can't remember which episode, <laughs> maybe episode, no, I'm not even going to try to remember what episode, but Showgirl's Life, I have uh, a woman I interviewed, she was in uh, many Las Vegas productions and in the 70s and 80s, and she said, you just make a stage wherever you go, and that's kind of what I've been doing, and now this is my new stage, so that's kind of how I got my start, and kind of just a synopsis of my whole dance career. That was that was a, a brief. I, I keep wanting to interject, like, oh, what about this and this and this and you know, there's there's so many exciting things that happened <laughs> in Athena's career that uh, you know we'll get to that. In fact, it reminds me to remind you that Athena has uh, her own projects and a ton of content that you, if that kind of thing interests you, you will not believe the amount of content there is about uh, being a showgirl, costumes, costume making, the, her entire uh, career as a showgirl, it's its all been recorded, it's all available, yep. and you can find that. Yep, blogs, podcasts, videos. We'll put a link yeah. Down, yeah. down below. It's, it's down below. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Does that mean it's my turn? How does one become a magician, my love? It depends on who the one is. <laughs> if we're talking <laughs> about me. Uh, I became enamored with magic as a kid in the ancient 1970s. <laughs> Um, I, I think I, I wasn't was, even born yet. I was first interested at the age of six, and then by the time I was eight, I decided to dedicate myself to learning some things. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is that my father, because of his job and how how much gravity there was to that job, uh, he just he wanted to find some kind of thing to tinker with, you know, and take his mind off of work, and uh, and he knew another person at the sheriff's department who had worked with Doug Henning, uh, a very famous magician. If you don't know who Doug is, uh, he was David Copperfield of a previous era. Um, hmm. he, he had a Broadway show, he had, oh, wow. uh, several Broadway shows, okay. but uh, nevertheless, it was my father's interest in it that got me interested. So he would bring home some little... Um, I remember exactly. I, I own the props now, of course, because uh, my father is no longer. But uh, he would show these things to me, and I became excited. And, I, and at this point, they were just puzzles, uh, unsolvable puzzles. But I managed to get a couple of things. I don't know how. I don't remember how I earned a little pocket money. But uh, I was always interested in pranks and uh, those kinds of things. I. <laughs> 
<laughs> probably would have been voted most likely to have a shrunken head in his pocket if there was any such thing. But uh, I was I was kind of a weird kid. I loved Ripley's Believe It or Not. I loved uh, Bigfoot or UFOs or any of those mm-hmm. crazy things. And so that's kind of where I started. Uh, and I dedicated myself enough that I got my first paying show when I was 10 uh, for a Cub Scout troop. I performed for a Cub Scout troop. And it was right about that time that, uh, a little bit after that, my cousin Bobby had a job at a magic shop nearby. And he would come home, uh, you know, I would see him, I think, about weekly. And he would show me something and, and would refuse to give me the secret, of course. So uh, it was... <laughs> almost a, 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 an act of vengeance that I had to go out and learn how these things were done. I ended up eventually working for the same magic shop for several years, but uh, it has been a lifetime thing. I did realize it took me a lot of years of doing that kind of thing to realize I didn't have a, a, a mentor in magic, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't go see a lot of live shows, and... I, I can't cite a specific time when the light bulb went off, but there is a big difference between demonstrating an impossible puzzle and being an entertainer. Mm. There is a huge difference. One, uh, forgive me for saying this, uh, I'm probably going to get a lot of people upset with me, but one is public masturbation. <laughs> and the other, you said it! <laughs> and the other is being an entertainer. And being an entertainer requires so much more than learning how to manipulate something uh, in a way that nobody can figure it out. So I dedicated myself to that and to consuming as much as I could from uh, entertainers who happened to perform magic. Mm. And uh, that's where I went. And I, I think that uh, there have certainly been experiences in my career as a mentalist, magician, psychic entertainer kind of person, uh, mostly mimicry from uh, watching footage or people performing live uh, that helped me understand that. I performed uh, as a busker Mm -hmm. in Boulder, Colorado in my teens, and I decided to push myself and, and explore a couple of different art forms just to be able to wrap myself around that idea of being an entertainer. One of those things was that I performed as a mime in Boulder. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was an interesting exercise because I had the anonymity that the makeup gave me, but I also didn't speak. So my responsibility was to be able to perform and be entertaining yeah. uh, without the crutch of being able to speak. Yeah, uh, that's or a hard props. thing for you. It is, it, it is, well, I can talk. But uh, uh-huh. um, that, was, that was a good exercise, uh, one that I would recommend. Unfortunately, there's a stigma about mimes that people want to avoid. To a degree, it's, it's worse than it ever was to uh, people hate mimes anymore. Oh. <laughs> so it's, a, it's almost a dangerous because thing to do. they're mean, right? Mimes are not necessarily mean, no. Oh. I mean, if, if they're just doing the, the box thing or whatever, um, it's considered <laughs> goofy and, and trite. Okay. Which is sad because it's, it's a, a, a physical art form and there are entertainers. Um, yeah, I'm going to put a link down below this so that you can see some entertainers that I really respect who work silently. Uh, one is uh, Avner the Eccentric, uh, who is uh, kind of a friend of mine. I wish we were closer uh, geographically so that I could actually speak more with him. But uh, uh, I'll put a, a, 
a link in so that you can see Abner perform. What? I'm just looking at the time. Oh, well, all right. Uh, I can rec I promise to synopsize, and I get excited about this. So I'm being told to roll on. Um, no. Wrap it up, apparently, is the new sign language. Uh, that's, that's how I got started. It was my dad and my cousin who kind of hit me with the bug. Hmm. And then seeing some, some of the things that I got to watch on television really solidified my interest. And then experiences and rewards that I got to have as an entertainer, you know, when I was fooling around with it as a busker. Mm -hmm. People aren't buying tickets to see a busker. You get paid after you do a good job. And if you don't do a good job, you don't get paid. Right. That's a good education. Mm. So who was your idol growing up? I would say that the most influential magician would be Harry Anderson. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, it was flattering when one of the one of the most famous magicians in the world said, you remind me of Harry Anderson. Without, now, he would have said, uh, I can tell you're mimicking Harry Anderson, and I don't want to be a mimic at all, so I've, I've come up with original material mm. and character and that kind of thing, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that Harry's in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So you said something. I just want to touch on this, but sure. I think it should be our next episode. Okay. Being an entertainer. Oh, that's a whole podcast. That's, oh, for sure. It, yeah. Like, we could do a whole series on it. Mm -hmm. I want, I didn't remark on the change I had to make from being a ballerina to a showgirl. It wasn't just, and I went to being a covered showgirl, which are called bluebells, bluebell dancers. I went from being a ballerina to wearing, you know, uh, leotard and tights and tutus and point shoes to wearing G-strings and high heels and rhinestone studded bras. Um, metal ones. Metal, yes. They were metal and not very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but the biggest change that I had to make was going from rehearsing up to 40 hours a week, rehearsing, practicing the repetition for no audience to performing. 12 shows a week, which was about 36 hours a week of being on stage and costume changes and performing like for an audience, entertaining that energy exchange. And that's what I got hooked on was that high. And when you were talking about that, I was like, oh, yes, that's important because you could do all the magic tricks with all your spidery fingers. And I learned a few card tricks when I was obsessed with playing cards. But connecting with your audience, helping, them, like engaging them, pulling them in and helping them feel seen. There's an art to that. There's a big difference between and, that and, you know, it, yeah. certainly, you know, developing the skills to be able to do the things. <clears throat> that's, that's a lot of work. Yes. But communicating to a young artist who aspires to be on stage mm -hmm. that 
okay, you're halfway there. Now that you've done, you've spent your whole life doing this so far. <laughs> you're you, a good dancer. You have a lot more work to do because you can kick your legs. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But we'll do a, we'll do an entire episode yeah, let's about do that. It. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. You know, I, I realize that we we always have juicy bits. I think in the last episode we did not have a juicy bit. Uh, we didn't have a juicy bit. A, so um, we. Beep. <laughs> Bleeps happen. Um, I, I wanted to say one thing. It's just a, a bit of trivia that I enjoyed learning myself. Uh, getting into entertainment and being enamored by being an entertainer caused me, of course, to, to consume whatever I could get my hands on pre-internet, mind you. So I was at the library going through things. But one of the things I remember seeing always in these photographs of dressing rooms, especially dressing rooms in which uh, female performers are getting ready, is that there are costumes always hanging on the the lights around the mirror. And uh, I don't think I really ever asked myself why that was, but it made absolute sense when Athena described being a showgirl and having to wear uh, these body chains and metal brassiers and that kind of thing. <laughs> you got to warm it up. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> in the summertime, we would turn the lights off, all of our, our lights on our thing. Mm -hmm. But in the wintertime, we turn them on so that we could hang our underwires nearby. So That makes yeah. sense. That's a bit of trivia, but yep. thought you'd enjoy that. Yeah, juicy bit. Nice. Yeah. High five. You're welcome. Thanks for remembering. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> There's that. There's that. Yeah. We are a listener, viewer-driven product. Yeah. So we encourage you to, to interact with us. We, we actually love hearing from you. You can get a hold of us a number of different ways. That's all down below, too. Yep. We can't keep doing this without you. Give us just a little bit of your time by subscribing, sharing, rating, or talking about One Big Caper with someone else. We truly appreciate your support. We want to hear your stories. Visit OneBigCaper.com to get to know us even more. This episode of One Big Caper was published in 2022. All rights to broadcast in whole or in part are the property of Gazellus Productions, LLC.